Hey, y'all. Welcome to All About the Pod podcast with the University of Georgia Peanut Team. I am Macy Wheeler, your host, bringing you real-time updates from our scientists, extension specialists, extension agents, growers, graduate students, and everyone in between. Well, welcome back to episode 13 of All About the Pod. And this morning we have some of the Peanut Team um, Dr. Mumford, Dr. Harris, and Dr. Prosco. Oh, and, and the major, <laughs> the major guest just walked in. I mean, we're, we're, we're all bowing down. Left. The most popular, apparently, the most popular specialist. <laughs> That's what they tell me. I don't if, know. I if you're on, if you're on an island out somewhere, well, I, yeah, well, I would yeah. voted for him too because Marcos had it clean and cooked everything. He does. Oh, yeah. He does. I saw those. That would have been my first choice. I was thinking Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island. So what? Was that for the <laughs> masters? No, it was no. A this was a survey at a peanut trainer. Yeah, we were at peanut training, and they said, you know, Wilson Faircloth was there as our sponsor for lunch, and well, you're not. He asked a question on a survey that he put out. Would if you're on a on a an island somewhere, who who would be the one what specialist, specialist that you'd you like to be with? And Mark one out. But the choices were like you, Mark. Eric and Bob. I wouldn't even. I a soil guy. I wouldn't even. Oh, you wouldn't even. So no there. soil scientists needed on desert, desert island. Either. Yeah, I guess not. I, I mean, some of the people put. They, he asked why too, and somebody said because I could climb a coconut tree. So I mean, it's. <laughs> You probably could. I probably could. Hey, you got to take a win when you get but it. I, yeah, I, I, I was, it was very humbling for me. I was, I was very, very happy. You, you can see him smile from you know, here. You know, He's like, oh, I got him. I got him. It kind of blows that uh, poster theory you have right out of the water. I, I actually thought about that. <laughs> Think about that. Who won it this time, by the way? Oh. Simmer. Simmer. Simmer outdid you this mm-hmm. time. Did yes, he do the little dance around you, or what did he do? No, he was very polite when he got up. He said, you know, since um senior fac- faculty member above him, he would not say anything negative about me. And I was like, I wouldn't care. Right? <laughs> yeah, because you usually do that little dance around. So it's, it's pretty fun to do that. But nevertheless, it's got to get, get the kick in when you can. <laughs> So we're here right before Christmas. What what is a burning amount of information y'all want to give out? To, what what do y'all want to talk about here? We um, we are going into the new year. We already have set the the production meetings, the weed meetings, and all for the next year. If you're a grower out there, make sure to get with the county agent because those dates have been set, have been reset and set again trying to get everybody happy um but i think we got them all figured out now so yeah but as we go into there what what are some things you, you guys want to share well i was going to say first you have no there's no excuse for not getting pesticide credits right through the through uh, how many peanut meetings are there 50 it's 40 there's 43 production meetings, and then you've got 20 something. I got 30? 31 weed meetings. 31 weed meetings. Bob's going to have, I don't know, 10 or 20. I don't know. Um, are you going to have any weed meetings this time? I mean, not weed meetings, fertility meetings. Yeah, oh, yeah. There'll be some fertility meetings. And, uh, Glenn's looking at me like, what the heck are you talking <laughs> about? Um, yeah, and then, you know, Georgia Plant Food has the best side opportunities there's there's opportunities out there there'll, there'll also be uh, in March and April the UPW trainings will be available again the mandatory UPW trainings will be available at some point those dates are not out yet but uh, there's a lot going on so uh, I mean everybody has to go to those if you're going to apply to ICAMBA yeah. so it's kind of mandatory that you go and, and I mean there's there's going to be a lot of new information presented I mean yeah we're beating the dead horse again on some of the same things we always do but there the biggest thing is we've just come out of one crazy year and, it's and we've been talking a little bit about that it's funny you mentioned that i was visiting with a grower one time and he was asking me about my column that i write and i said you know as i get older it's harder i don't want to repeat myself but he said you know what we like to be reminded mm-hmm. you know we got so much going on you know it's even though you might think you're just repeating yourself it's never too um sorry to hear you know the, a good message 
Yeah, and you know, as as much as we can make mistakes, or as much as growers can make some simple mistakes through the year, and lose yield, lose this or that. This year was kind of interesting because there was there were some things growers had a lot of control over, and there were some things that they didn't. And it, it both in both situations, they lost yield this year. Um, and so it, it, it was a crazy year. So we are going to discuss a lot of that at these grower meetings, but, um, hey, it's open. So what are you saying? I ran into a, a grower at a uh, social event and had switched over to Georgia 12Y, and obviously they were expecting more yield than they got off of that variety, although it still yielded pretty good. But what are you telling people in general, like, when they say, well, my yields are off? What do you think's going on? Well, there were several things that happened. Um, if you if you want to talk about twelve Y, that people and, and I had those conversations too with a couple of people. Yeah, I tried twelve Y this year and and it didn't do as well as I thought it would. Well, no variety did as well as it should have this year. But we were still in the fives, you know, fifty five hundred or better. And a lot of our variety trials where we had twelve Y in that trial with O uh, six. If it was planted early enough, we still out-yielded 06. And so we've got a lot of good responses to 12Y, but there's there's been some hiccups here or there. And, and again, I'm, I'm not sure why people don't tend to listen a little bit more about specific things. Uh, one being that we don't want 12Y planted really past May 10th or 12th because you run out of heat units to push that variety. Because it is 148, 150, 155, 160-day peanut, depending on the weather. Um, and this year, we just we got to mid, mid-August, and the, the temperatures were mild. It was rainy, overcast. We didn't have the heat units. And we got into September, it dried off. We cooled off. And then we had the early frost. So if you planted it late, which we don't want to do, it, it, it's not going to yield. Um, and it's not going to yield even in a normal year if you plant it late. So that's the one biggest thing is people continue to plant it beyond May 10th or 12th. I think if you're going to do that, you need to you need to change and, and plant it early because that, that is the one variety that we have that has the best tomato spider wilt virus package of any of them. So if you're going to plant something early, that would be the one I'd try to plant early, um, you know, into April. And so we got to do that. But the other things that we we found especially irrigated is you know it comes with the situation of growing a lot of vines so we need to be able to control that with the growth regulator and we need to control rhizoctonia limrock because in some places that was pretty bad and that variety is very susceptible those two things along with planting data are the you know that's the three things that can hinder that variety or limit that variety from yielding like it should but the um but we got a lot of nice, good varieties coming, I hope. A few, um, the Nemato variety, Tifton, Tift NVHG is coming down the pipeline. I would tell people that, you know, we're going to talk about them, but don't think you're going to find seed this year. It's going to be another year before we get seed. But the good news is we got something coming that looks very good. Uh, that's the one that I think is well worth talking about um, in that in that realm. What was that the number again? Tift NVHG. What's HG? High grade? High grade. <clears throat> and um, it looks phenomenal. Better tomato spotter wilt resistance, almost, you know, immune to the nematode. Um, and the yield is right there with 06. We're pushing six to 7,000 pounds with it. So it has eliminated that yield lag. But again, besides seed increase for that, a few is that people. still a high OL as well? It or? is a high OL. And so for people that, you know, you'll have a couple people that are going to be involved with seed increase with that. But other than that, we're just not going to have the seed. Now, we're going to have some to do in our own farm trials this year, uh, whether that's a nematode trial or just a pure variety trial. So we'll have more of it for growers to see. But that's that's where we're at. Well, my world, um, of course, you're talking about coming off a crazy year and the fertilizer prices, but they don't go down. Probably the first time that I can remember that we had tears in a row, really high fertilizer prices. So luckily, it doesn't impact the peanut as much as some of our other crops. Um, you know, it fixed nitrogen, so knocking is still good value. Um, shouldn't need a lot of P and K, but if you do, you need to put it out there. 
And of course, calcium is still, gypsum still good value. Um, we're looking at alternatives, but really a thousand pounds of gypsum is, is the best way to go and get calcium to peanuts. So we got to keep all that in mind. The other thing I'm looking for is, is you know, what kind of weather we're going to get during the winter, how wet it's going to get, because that can mess some of our soil sampling up especially some of our pH readings. Now, Glenn, do you have a lot of problems with over the year of growers putting peanut in and not sampling, thinking that their fertility is good, or picking up farms and going, oh, well, that's gonna, I'm going to put peanuts there. I'm not going to worry about sampling. I don't get that that much. It does come up once in a while. It's really hard to help somebody when they you just don't have a sample because things can – the two things that are going to change the, the fastest, some are going to change, it's going to be either pH or potassium. And actually, believe it or not, you're probably – you probably, if you, you know, the year you don't want to skip is after peanut because peanut takes it off, can take a lot off. So you really don't want to skip after peanut. But if you got like peanut following well fertilized corn, you know, uh, I would dare say you might be able to get away with that. But that's not recommended. But but if you're picking up a farm, you you want to sample no matter what. Yeah, right? you're picking up a farm. You got it. You got to sample. In fact, um, and I'm working with Simmer on this kind of thing. Um, you know, we're going a lot to grid sampling. We're looking looking at even grid sizes, but common is two and a half acres or whatever if you're picking up a farm and it's never been grid sampled to see what kind of variability you have out there and everything you, you probably need to grid sample it too yeah and our, our thing that we saw this past year on a couple of farms that got picked up was zinc problems yeah and yeah. that that hurt a particular grower because it was several hundred acres of peanuts and they were all ridden with zinc problems yeah i mean you pick up new land that you know there's a chance it hasn't been managed hasn't been hasn't been lined properly and then there's zinc can be an issue, that's for sure. Lime's, lime's a big one, and again, lime is what you want to do now because you want to get it out. You don't want to wait till planting if you can. And that's something you, you can really know from your soil test before you even plant. Yeah. I know that one field we looked at at Wilcock yeah. County, yeah. We, and then we saw that zinc problem. He had a soil test there. It was plain as day on the soil test. Yeah. And he said, don't, don't plant peanuts there. <laughs> And that was the, the this one this one farm as crazy as that with this one farm the the dealers took the samples and I don't know if he had talked about putting cotton there at one time and then he just changed but the dealer never picked up on or or him maybe it was him that never picked up on the zinc but if you're supplying that fertilizer and you're seeing the results please pay attention to the zinc level yeah, you can, along with that yeah you can't predict everything but you know if you got a low ph and don't lime you can you can bet you're gonna have you know we got ph problems and then zinc if it's high and ph is low you're gonna have zinc problems and i can also look on the on the flip side i can look if your ph is really high and your manganese are low i can right. predict you're gonna have manganese problems so yeah there's a lot we can tell before, before we even plant what, what's going to what's going to happen Brian. I have a question for you if, if you don't mind me chiming mm-hmm. in something I just was thinking about is we're just really just shooting off the cuff here today you, know, you look at crops that we grow like cotton soybeans and corn that respond to fertility right we can make more yield by putting generally more fertilizer on at the right time but in peanuts we don't well, it's, it's funny you mention that because, you know, I do a lot of meetings for all the crops, and we have uh, a system for fertilizing cotton and corn by yield goal, especially N, P, and K, where we up it. It's not huge amounts, but, you know, we do get a little more higher yields, but we do not have that for peanut and soybeans. And you're right, these, these crops respond differently, and uh, peanut and soybeans just don't respond to putting a bunch more fertilizer at them. And when it comes to peanut, the things that will trip you up is things like pH and and, and, and zinc and boron and those kind of things. So, yeah, all crops need 16 essential nutrients, but you know which ones are more important? And in our system, how you manage them can be very different. And we did that test just as a, a follow-through with a company. We just had a question this year with putting out peanut fertilizer. And we went from anywhere from, I think it was 100 pounds of a mixed blend up to 400 pounds, and there was no yield improvement. What was the background soil? It was, it was, it was right. very much a, a good, good, adequate. So you, you would not have recommended anything, but that gave the perfect base layer to say, hey, if you add something else, will it do anything? And we just, we didn't see it. And so that's, that's important to. Well, that's another thing soil testing is all about. I mean, we can, we can look at your levels and if you, if your levels are good, you probably don't have a, a lot of, you know, chance of response to certain nutrients, that kind of thing. Um, that's the way it's designed. You know, it's tricky for me because to do my research, if I go on experiment stations and I follow another scientist and he's doing, you know, insect control or whatever, 
they don't want fertility to be a problem, so they load it up. Yeah. So I go out there and I try to see a sulfur problem or a nitrogen problem. I can't see anything because <laughs> it's all loaded up. So I go to the experiment stations and ask the managers for their worst land. Well, then usually it takes two, two or three years to get that land <laughs> even good to grow. Something. So anyway, it's a challenge. But uh, yeah, we call them responsive sites. I mean, I can, you, you pick a nutrient on a particular crop, you go out there and you got to have an, un, you know, an untreated check. And a lot of times it does fine. You realize you weren't going to see anything anyway. And that's not to say we don't ever apply to peanut, right? Because right. We're do- there's a lot of people that plant peanut behind peanut behind peanut or peanut every year or something like that. Yep. And in those situations, yeah, if you're pulling off a lot, yep. you definitely need to go back, right? And of course, new ground. New ground is traditionally low in PNK, so... Especially if you're taking off the hay too, right? You're taking off a lot of yeah. Some some something somebody else said this morning remind me of that. You know, uh, twelve wise because you know we're talking about a lot of vine. And I don't know if they necessarily on average because we've raked them and measured them. You make about six thousand pounds of dry matter vine most of the time on any variety, and you're only you're only really taking about half of that off when you take the hay. Believe it or not, you can't get all those fine leaves and everything. But uh, you know, you're getting about. Two, two and a half of those big round bales of hay off there, and you're exporting. Um, before fertilizer prices went up about fifty dollars an acre in nutrients. Now, because the fertilizer prices doubled, it's about a hundred dollars in nutrients really? per acre wow. that you're that you're exporting. Mostly, mostly N and K, not a whole lot of right. I, I was when I saw you give that talk at the agents training. And one of the agents back sitting behind me, I know he's got cows. I said, "Well, how much are you paying for a bale?" He said, seventy dollars." So yeah, I thought I thought they used to be. Well, they used to be paying about thirty-five. So if they're paying seventy. That makes sense too. You know, it's probably yeah. I mean, everything's doubled. It seems like you're yeah. still losing thirty dollars. That's right. That was that was where I was going. Is that unless you're just mining somebody else's dirt, right? And yeah, somebody else's land, and you're nope. just mining it. Well, <laughs> no, that, that comes up in rental <laughs> agreements. That's where I get the call. Somebody either, somebody either renting the land and wants to try to put it back, or somebody's yeah. you know. Uh, well, if you got cows, they got to eat too, right? So. Yeah, and used to traditionally, if we have a, a bad hay year, we, we bail up more peanut hay. That's right. That's right. That a lot of, of people hay. do. A lot of people do. It's it's a common practice. But it always reminds me too. You know, John Baldwin and, and, and you know used to say that you know we talk a lot about sustainability. He said you know the definition of sustainable ag is leaving your peanut hay on the field. <laughs> I always thought that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that, actually. You know, especially now, it's a lot of yeah. You're right? leaving a lot of nutrients, right? You're keeping a lot of nutrients. So, Mark, you're here. Talk a little bit about where we stand, pesticide wise, EPA. What are some issues that we got coming up, especially like with the rootworm problem for, you know, for our Western growers? Well, the yeah. So the there's a petition. I guess that's what it's called. The EPA has been petitioned to to cancel all the tolerances or the labels for the organophosphates and it's the same groups that went after chlorpyrifos. Got in a chlorpyrifos is an OP too, right? It's just one of them. And that was the route they took. Um, they couldn't get it banned any other way, so they did that and it worked. And so they've gone that same route to try to, to cancel all the OPs, which would be a I mean you, some people look at that and say, well that's old technology and we're beyond that now. But the reality is is we still use a lot of those chemistries and a lot of them are really important. I mean, for example, chlorate, which is thymet, which is the only insecticide we have that reduces our risk of tomato spotted wilt virus. So if you take that out and at least last year probably half to a little over half of our peanut grower or acres in Georgia were treated with it. So it's not like it's something that's just being used a little bit. So it's being used a lot and, and it's I mean, it provides a, a lot of, of, of value. And there's a lot of other ones. I mean, uh, we talk about acephate, people know it as orthene. That one probably is in trouble no matter what. We're probably gonna lose that one, whether this petition thing goes through or not. But the reality is I hadn't heard a lot. I mean, this, this came up back, it's been a couple of months ago now, and I haven't heard what's going on with that petition lately. I, it's kind of funny in, those, in that realm, even in herbicides, there's usually like a big, like press release or something. Yeah. Everybody's crazy, and then you don't hear anything. Yeah, because then it gets hung up in the bureaucracy, right? Probably, and, it's and just, then you're wondering what's going on. It's floating around Washington D.C. somewhere, and you don't really know until another big press release comes out that they actually did something. So, I mean, I think we need to be paying attention because if people take for I don't know if they take for granted or if they don't realize the importance of writing letters. I, I feel confident, but most people don't realize the importance of writing letters to EPA and writing the right kind of letter, right? I mean, it, 
a lot of times I'll write something and then a lot of people just take that and want to put their name on it. Yeah. That's not nearly as valuable as someone saying, if you're a county agent, for example, in just to say Tip County, I'm my name is whatever, and I'm the county agent in Tip County, and we have X acres of peanuts here, and half of my growers use ThiMed or 48 for this reason, and this is why we need it, rather than just signing on to some other letter. Or when a farmer says, I grow 750 acres of peanuts, and I use these three products, and they are important to my, pro- my uh, business for these reasons. Those kinds of letters actually have a lot of weight, and... Um, and the EPA wants those. And the EPA wants them. I, I, I mean, sometimes I joke around about the EPA, like when I'm doing grower meetings and stuff, but the reality is that all the people, all the scientists that I've met at EPA are really very reasonable people, and they really want to make sure that they're doing the, for, for one thing, they want to make sure they're doing the right thing for the environment, right? It is the Environmental Protection Agency. They also understand that agriculture is a very important business, and they want to help growers have the tools they need. Now, I'm going to make an aside and say that political appointees, that may not be the same deal, right? I don't know them. But the, the people who are like looking at the science at EPA, I, I think, are, in my experience, have all been really good people. I think they're, you know, the perception is they're out to get us. Yes. And that's not the case. N- not for the scientists, no. for sure, right? I mean, and I don't even know about the, the political appointees may not be out to get us, but they're under a lot of pressure from various constituencies, right, right. to do things. And, you know, they may not be thinking the same way we think, and they probably aren't, right? So we, we talked just a little bit about one that we did yesterday about all of this, you know, that we're fighting the fight. We're, we're trying to be what we are in agriculture and raise food and do this and use the tools that we got that EPA says is okay. And then you got the environmentalists and other entities that are fighting us on the other end, but we never seem to get in a room and actually talk civil and understand both sides, right? We never go and see their side, but also they don't ever come and get immersed in agriculture and see what we're doing. Um, I, I think that's one of our biggest challenges and failures in agriculture is that we have not gotten that point across. Yeah, we haven't told our story well enough, that, I don't think, um, unfortunately, but we're too busy. Who cares more about their land than a farmer? Yeah, especially one that's, you know, we've got legacy farms that have been here since, you know, when the country was being formed, right? Who cares more? Who's, who's going to, nobody could care more than their, about their farm than they do. So, yeah, I think, and I don't know what the answer is. We, I, me and Culp ever talking about this all the time when we're driving around. It's like, how do we, how do we get the message across? Because part of the problem that, like, somebody like me, for example, if I was to go on, you know, 60 minutes or whatever, the first thing they'd ask me, well, do you take money from chemical companies? Oh, yeah, I do. Well, then how can you be not biased? Right. Well, they don't understand that when I take, make an arrangement with a chemical company, they're not buying me. They're asking me to test their products in comparison to other things. And then if they don't work, they need to know. I can't, we can't, nobody here can say a product is good if it doesn't work and it has to be tested. Who's going to test it if we don't test it? We can't believe I mean, we hope that the data that's coming from the company is legit. It has to be, right? They have to have products that work. But they also need to be vetted through us. And that, that doesn't make me biased because I took a, a grant and aid check from a big company. They just wanted to know how their products are doing. Right. doing. And if they don't do well, they want to know. And that's what we tell them. But that's not, you never hear that story. You never get past the fact, well, did you take money from Bear Crop Sciences? It did. All right, next question. Right. They never go into it anymore. Well, what does that mean when you take money from a chemical company to do research? doesn't mean they're buying us. They're, they want us to give them fair evaluations of their products. But, but back, back to Mark's point, you know, the input's important. The input from the farmers, from the county agents, and even from scientists. Um, again, and, and, and actually, when it comes to EPA, you know, just if they're open to knowing, you know, sometimes they just don't know. They're not scientists, so they... I, you know, luckily I had a good experience that someone came up with gypsum and they had a meeting with folks and uh, growers and myself and, you know, they're like asking questions about, well, how exactly is this handled and all that? And they didn't know. So at least they asked a question and tried to figure it out because that's where you get into trouble when you, when the other side, and that's what you were getting at, Scott, you know, when the other side doesn't even try to understand what that's they're right. doing, that, you know, you can't. But you that's know, one of the first things, if you ever, if you ever been flying, 
or you're going somewhere and you sit next to somebody and they <laughs> start a conversation with you, and you know, ultimately for me, it's I work with pesticides, so it gets back to to, to all. You're that. awful. And then so the, the first, first thing I ever asked somebody, I said, well, say, first of all, have you ever been on a farm? Have you ever, I mean, do you come from a farm? Have you ever been on a farm? Do you even, I mean, you know what you read, but have you ever, like, stepped foot on a farm? Hmm. And have, most Probably of the not. time they're going to say, no, I don't. And I said, well, how do you know anything, anything about, <laughs> about what we're talking about? Well, you rode next to somebody that told you how to look up stuff, didn't you, Mark? Yeah, we probably ought not go there. <laughs> <laughs> What, out of Google, <laughs> it was very yeah, colorful well, way yeah. to do it. But yes, well, Google's not the best place for information. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting your information from Google. You know, well, yeah, right. But she was a millennial, and GTS is what she told me. Some of y'all know what that is, and some of you won't. I don't know what GTS. I'll tell you after we're done. But I, I've said it to people, and some people know, and some people don't. I, Google I that, that, and you can yeah, imagine. Google say, yeah. I can. I can. Google that last word. What yeah. she said, and I mean, you know, everybody knows that now. Right? Google it, right? But I don't know the. Uh, you know, I think people they. It's just like now. I guess people say there's distrust of science or whatever, and there's so much information. It's really hard to vet it, right? On on every topic, any topic you want to pick, whether it's COVID or agriculture or pesticides or whatever, you can go on Google and you can find a website that looks completely legit that will tell you exactly what you want to hear, regardless of what it is you want to hear, which makes it super easy to disregard anything that you don't want to believe because you can find something that looks totally legit that affirms what you do believe. And I think that's created, I mean, nobody wants to hear what I think, but... I think that's created a huge problem for people because they can find that thing, the thing that, that affirms their belief, and they can latch on and hold on to that, and whether it's about pesticides or whatever, right. and then they can, they'll just refute you, and you say, well, you know, you take money from pesticide companies, or, 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 right? They'll right. come up with all these things, and you try to say, well, you know, well, what was your source for that? Well, this was my source. Well, you know, that's not a reliable source. Well, you know, prove it to me, and it's like, my God, I... Right. I mean, even when I'm trying to figure out something about stuff I don't know anything about, and I go on the internet and try to read, it's like, is this real or not? I don't know. Yeah. People talk about fake news. Heck, it's hard to tell. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what. Yeah. How do you know? You know what is good or not? I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I don't want to go off topic, but I was <laughs> looking at climate change. Just I was trying to do something about climate change. Mm-hmm. Of course, you go on there, and you know, all the stuff pops up. And there's a whole lot of, I don't want to get into the, whether whether it's real or whatever, that's a whole other discussion. But, you know, if you're just a regular person and doesn't have a science background and you just read, you know, Joe Blow's article, and then you're, oh, that must be true. Well, I think it may not be true. Yeah, and that's on anything, right? Anything. anything. I think what you got to do, though, is you got to start trying to figure out which sources you can trust. And it might take a while. Yeah. I mean, it might not be the first time, but you, you got to try to figure out whether, you know, you're going to find stuff that two, two reports with two opposing views. You know which one you're going well, to believe. You know yeah. you look at the, which one you think is is legit. I guess. And yeah. even scientists, right? Because you, everybody, it doesn't matter how unbiased you want to be. You have an opinion, right? Well, you're human, right? And if it's something that's a yeah. hot button issue, I'll go back to this one. It's like not that many years ago, they said there a big group of scientists said there's no chance, there's no way that COVID escaped from a lab. And now a lot of those people have said, well, there's a chance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so they've reversed themselves. Now, for what reason? I don't know. It doesn't matter. This isn't about that. <laughs> but it makes it, it, it erodes trust in yeah. scientists because people will say these things. And sometimes they may be saying it because of their deep-seated political beliefs or whatever. And then some, then the story changes and people say, well, I, you know, I try to talk to people that, and, you know, that keeps coming up because it was a big deal and there's a lot of science. And they say, well, the story keeps changing. I was like, because it's called science. We're searching for the answer, right? We don't know anything. We don't know anything about this, and there's a whole lot of people doing research. And it's the same for agriculture, right, except it's not as publicized, where there's a lot of people doing research. And what we know, what we think we know today might change, right? We may learn something that says, you know what, we weren't exactly right. That doesn't mean we were bad or even we might have been wrong. 
It didn't mean we were intentionally misleading anybody when the information, we didn't have all the, the answers, right? We're still learning in 2022. Yeah. It's, it's, never good, it's never good to base a recommendation entirely on one year of data, right? Because that could be, if there's no data, I guess that's a good thing, but it could be completely Well, it's one thing to come out and say, hey, guys, we need to be cautious until we get enough information to go with versus I've done five years of work on this and this is it's been consistent the same time or significant in this way. I mean there's there's two different things there, but that's just like was it Kerry Hodge told Camerite one day, <laughs> Bob Camerite, you don't know Jack Diddle about tomato spider wilt virus. And I'm being politically correct there, uh, not getting off onto a good word. But he said, you don't know nothing about tomato spider wilt virus. Here it comes back again. Y'all tell us what to do, and we still had it a lot. Well, things change. We have cycles, right? Things you know, whether it's the insect, whether it's our, our our practices, whether it's when we plant. I mean, things change and weather patterns change. And so we do have to be willing to, you know, move a little bit. I mean, we got to. I think you bring up um, a good point here. And we're talking about at this time of year, like, what are you going to talk about? But I was on the driving over here. <laughs> if I was a farmer, and of course, I mean, if, if the University of Georgia doesn't recommend something or they do recommend something there's a reason right there's a reason why and i i you know there people have faith in whatever i i have a lot of faith in the people at this institution especially on the peanut team that they do really good work and they care an awful lot about making sure that their recommendations are the best they can possibly be and if somebody's, you know, a lot of people are selling stuff and that's their job. But if, if somebody's selling me something and I, I would, the first thing I'd ask is show me the data from the University of Georgia. And if they don't have it, I'm not going to do it. And it goes back to this thing, well, I tried this on my farm and it worked. Or I tried this on my farm and it didn't work. Anything can happen once, which is why everything we do, is every single trial is within the trial, there's replication and then Every trial is replicated, sometimes for years before a recommendation is made. How long do you study a herbicide before you actually make a recommendation? For years, right? right? Just give you a quick example. Yeah. We were working on break. We've got yeah. 10 years, right? 10, 10, years. 10 years. And how many trials? How many individual trials? God only knows, right? Mm -hmm. And, and so, why, why do you say that? There's a reason why you 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 want to get because how would you say you need a fudge factor? Is that how you yeah, say well, it? I want to make what's the other why you, you say make sure you're right, right? Or, or yeah. you, you you know maybe you want you're never going to be right 100 percent of the time, right? Because it's we live in a, it's biology, right? And it's not math one plus one. Anything can happen, right? That's right. But no, we no, wanna, but, that it was. But, but we want to make sure that we with a high degree of confidence that when we say product X is can be used like this, you're going to get what you're paying for and not, you're going to get, in my case, good weed control and um, as little crop injury as possible. Uh, but, but you say you try to get in weed science. There's a certain way you say it. It's, uh, um, you want a percent of... Well, in terms of, like, if we're developing a new product, I yeah. want to have, like, a 2X margin of safety. That's what I was so trying So what to that do. means, let's just say product <clears throat> X it has a, a use rate of five ounces. So we're going to be testing it at 10 and 15 to make sure, you know, try to find out where we where we lose that selectivity because ultimately on the farm, and we've all seen it, right, mishaps occur. You're going to have uh, some peanuts in this case get treated with a, more than a labeled rate. Either they overlapped or somebody mixed up the wrong, you know, they got their math wrong or whatever. So. Uh, but we want at least a 2x margin of safety to cover ourselves in those scenarios. So when that does happen, well, then we can assure the grower that, hey, bad idea, but we should You're be gonna okay. You're going to be okay. Yeah. So I always thought that was a, a good way to present that. Because right. it happens, right? We all make mis you know mixing mistakes or whatever it might be. So. Uh, and we're all out about trying new things, right? That's why we're doing research. We get new products brought to us all the time. It's just a shame that some of the products we get to test now have already been commercialized and are out on the, you know, being tested or utilized by growers. And then we find out either they don't work or maybe they do work or in, in some cases work in a bad way, you know. And that, that's been hurting a grower for a couple of years, and nobody's even known about Here, it. Here's a good example. We were talking about doing uh, multiple years of research, but yet things could be different. Um, remember when 
Mark, you weren't here, but Scott, you were an agent at that time when Valor came out yeah. in 2001. That was the first year that it was commercialized. And so at that point, I had been working on Peanuts just a few years. It was like 97, so I had like three or four years. It was I was at the tail end of the development on that one. But when it got to the growers, we had a disaster. It was. It was a disaster. And everybody was like, what's going on? We had never seen that injury in the in the four years that I had been working with it prior to that. I had never seen it. Nobody in the country had seen what was going on. So how did that happen, right? We, we just missed it. You know, we, we didn't have the conditions that were right to, to cause that injury. In my case, a lot of times I was spraying on, doing some on-farm stuff, so... I might be two hours away from that and not get, you know, I might put out a test and not get back there for three weeks. It could have happened and I didn't see it because right. I wasn't there every day. But that's a classic <clears throat> example of, man, we had a ton of data that said this is a go. And then when we got into the grower's hands, we were like, uh-oh, you know, what happened? And then, we, of course, since then we've learned a lot more. Yeah, so it's hard to test under every condition. Mm-hmm. So like you said, you don't, definitely don't want to rely on one location one year. Right. You got tested under as many conditions as you can. But those kind of situations, when they do pop up, there's a lot of man hours that go into trying to figure it out or fix or trying to mediate some of that that response or whatever. And here we are, like I said, we've been using that product forever, and we know how to use it. And guess what? We still have injury still have from injury. it. But that's it's just but it's part, part of part of that is that's just part of that product. But it, we, we can't do without it. The weed suppression or the weed control that we get from our product is far, it outweighs, you know, the, the negatives. But so, you know, that's an example. There was probably well over 10 years of research on that product. Everything was a go. And then we just got in that particular year, and for various reasons, we had problems. And we, didn't, we weren't expecting it. Total surprise that was. You know, was it different environmental conditions that happened? No, I, I think we were we were a lot of things. Okay. I think the, the weather is always a huge factor, yeah. but we were pushing the timings a little bit because okay. we didn't you know like delaying applications perhaps when when they were getting closer to emergence and things like that. We're, which now you know we don't you know that's not to do. It's that. part of the recommendation is to not apply this. But we still have people do it. Sure, sure, get sure. behind right. weather, whatever. Well, happen, I mean. Right? It definitely so, happens. Yeah. Um, so we, I guess the other point is even though we do a lot of research, you know, I think everyone in here agree we we don't know everything. We never will. Well, no, and, and every time we find an answer, right, it also brings up about 10 it, or 12 more questions. It should. Right? Yeah. That's what, when Mark was talking about the story evolving, it should because as you do research, you learn more things, but you also learn other things you didn't even think about you need to find out. So you, you right. should always have more questions. That's right. And I mean, that's like... As old as the growth regulator is, prohexadiodium calcium, Apogee or kudos, we're learning a little bit more about that, about what to mix with it. Even though it's compatible, sometimes you slip up. And, and you in there. Tweak that particular recommendation, you'll probably keep tweaking that. We're going to keep tweaking it, yes, because right. we, we know now we don't probably don't want to put it in a in, – when it's 95-plus degrees out, you don't want to mix it with many, you know – Bravo or Ted Buchanan's all of that because it's going to burn the mess out of them. Or if we've been extremely wet and our root systems are not perfect, we found that last year it's going to burn the mess out of something. Um, you know, we've tried it now with a lot of things, even 2,4-DB, which seems to be, you know, we got one year, really didn't get any significant difference there on how it worked. But when you added both together, it trended more negative than it did positive. And so right now I'm very cautious about that. And so I want growers probably not to do it until we get more information about it. So you're putting nitrogen in there too. You're putting nitrogen a little bit. I, I mean, it's not you're, much, you're but it's a little bit. nitrogen sources now, I guess. We are, and they are, it seems like that might be some differences there. So we're having to play with that a little bit. We know that they're also wanting crop oil in there well we're trying to leave not put anything in there adjuvant but also put nis instead of crop oil and yield response wise it doesn't seem like there's much of a difference but when you go to look at our height there is a small incremental difference between crop oil nis and no adjuvant so when it's by itself now when you start mixing it that those kind of act like adjuvant sometime so but there's some things there that we're still working on and that product's been here for, geez, 25 years. 
And so we're just now regaining some use of that product and doing well with it. But again, I don't recommend that for every grower. We found out there are some growers that don't need to use it. Just because you have irrigation and you think you grow a lot of vine, you don't grow it near as much as some people and we don't get responses. So that's something that we're learning and trying to keep people uh, you know, apprised as as they're trying it to try it. If it's new, just try it. Don't don't go hog wild with it. Um, and so we're just trying to trying to get things figured out. The um, that's like it, it, we've been wet for the last year or so. Here, are we doing any work on burr bug or any of that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, we're still doing work on burr bugs. Um, I mean, there were very few seg two peanuts this year, and I you know. We lost the one, we lost Plopirifos, so if, if someone had had them, there wouldn't have been anything they could have done about it. So we were really fortunate that it wasn't an issue, uh, or not much of an issue, and I'll say that. And there's somebody sitting somewhere, and they may not listen to this podcast, who it was an issue for, because there's going to be burrow bugs every year, and, and somebody's going to have safety peanuts. And and that's the, you know, that's the, the really... I don't know. It's the tough thing about that insect is you can make six thousand pound peanuts and have four percent burr bug injury, and they're worth one hundred twenty dollars a ton instead of five hundred twenty dollars a ton. So, um, you know, you can really lose a lot of money, and that you have, and you didn't even know it was going to happen. But yes, we're still can we continue to work on burr or bug? Um, we're at a point where if we don't have any chemistry, and when I say that, I mean we don't have an insecticide that we can use to manage it. We're really up against it, right? I mean. And this will go back to some of these, you know, folks who are trying to push regulations of pesticides. And I think they, I think they honestly believe that that pesticides we could grow our we could grow our food and everything would be fine if we didn't use pesticides. I think they probably really believe that, right? They believe we could feed the world without these things. And and for burrow bug, the reality is, is you know, if you look at it, so so somebody's got burrow bug problems, right? But most of our seven hundred thousand acres, give or take, don't. And so if you are looking at from outside, you say, well, I, I, burr bug's not a big deal, right? Because, I mean, year in and year out, you're looking at less than 5% say 2 peanuts probably, and, and the proportion of those that are caused by burr bugs even less. So, I mean, so what? Well, the so what is is that you may have a, a legacy farmer who's been farming for, you know, his family's been on the land for 200 years. He may lose his farm because of burr bug in one year, right? If they're on, you know, that's the, you know, that's the issue in, uh, you can look at it from somewhere else and say, oh, that's not really a big deal. But if you're going to look at it from my seat, which is in Georgia trying to help real people, people who I know, right, they need chemistry, right? I don't care if it's chlorpyrifos or something else, but we got to have something. And uh, so, yeah, we continue to work on it. The, the cultural things we know that work are the same thing. You know, tillage helps. Tillage, uh, the, the more aggressive you till, the less risky you are, are at less risk you have for burrow bug, but it doesn't eliminate the risk. We see less problems where we have irrigation, but you know, other than that, there's not a lot you can do. Um, well, you could easily say that, hey, that recommendation to go in and till every acre now where you got burrow bug, that takes away from all the sustainability efforts now. You know, well, there's no so, question that I mean, know. that's the growers have. I mean, if you are a grower who are who's implemented conservation tillage, you don't want to go to. I mean, that's probably the biggest blowback I get you know somebody comes to me and says I've got I've got this problem I've had this problem consistently for years and when you talk about their tillage practices oh well I'm you know I strip tilled or whatever I was like well you you can reduce your risk significantly if you turn the land and that I'm not going to do that (laughs) or or I can't do that right some of these are highly erodible lands or or, you know you might be in a place that's not especially the places that aren't historically peanut growing areas right you get farther east where they didn't grow peanuts, some of that land is more rolling, and they really—that's not much of an option for them. And so they roll the dice because it is a sporadic fest, right? I mean, you can't say that just because this field had burrow bug last year, it'll have it again in three years. Nobody knows. Right. And so you know they so roll the dice. And is planting date? Does planting date have any effect on burrow bug? Not that I've seen. I mean, the, it's that insect is native here. It flies. It can go wherever it wants. It, it feeds on. We've done some work with gut content analysis, and pretty much every plant that grows in Georgia, I think it eats. I mean, it's I, one of the most common things we find in burrow bug guts is pine tree. 
they're, I don't know if they're, I assume they're eating the seeds. Just out of curiosity, how do you do that work, Mark? Yeah. Not as they don't know. So you cut up the yeah, so kind of, I mean, I, I so, might have find it cool, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how, do, how do you do gut Content uh, analysis. Well, well when I say we, wonder. when I say we, what I really mean is somebody in a lab in Athens. <laughs> but part of your, your etymology ex- team. Yes, yeah, they extract the, the content of the gut and do DNA analysis wow. to see what's in there. Mm-hmm. And cool. um, yeah, it's really cool. And the list of things that are in there is amazing, right? There's all kinds of stuff in there. But the, I mean, really, the one that I would say the most common thing is is pine, which which yeah. makes. A lot of sense. There's a lot we of pine trees, and these are seed feeders. This insect is a seed feeder, and I mean, I don't know what the <laughs> soil bank for pine trees. See, I mean, they're coming up now, right? There's right. little baby pine trees coming up in my yard everywhere now from what fell in the fall. But I'm sure some of them don't come up in the don't fall, up, right, in the winter. Yeah. So, well, could they feed above ground though on something like that? Yeah, like in trees. the cone itself. Uh, they could they probably yes do they I'm guessing probably not but it's I, they probably couldn't feed in the cone because that's a long way to get to the seed from the outside of a closed cone right once right. the cone opens the seeds gonna once out, it but, once it opens okay. but okay I mean and then it's on the ground most of the time then they're gonna be on the ground and yeah. or in the soil or whatever so um yeah I don't know that. Your question was about planting date, and the thing is, if we if we put a light trap up to catch bird bug, we will catch them from the time it's warm enough for an insect to move until it's too cold for an insect to be moving, right? We basically can catch them anytime we put them up. So I think they're moving around, they're looking for places to be. Um, I mean, we've we've learned stuff. There's some, there are some areas, like adjacent areas that, that put you at higher risk based on where we've seen bugs in the past. Um, the grad student I've got, he's trying to finish up. Um, that's that's a big part of what his work is. And, but there's no silver bullet. There's no smoking gun. There's no if you do this thing or if you avoid this thing, you won't have a problem. And I mean, that's what people want. That's what I want. But it doesn't always work that way. And I mean, we knew pretty much that was going to be the deal when, when we started. Um, and it, it kind of sucks when you're, you know, you really are just praying that somebody will come up with some chemistry that will help us, right? Because management cultural practices alone aren't going to do it the great thing is is that it doesn't affect a large number of acres every year and i I mean i don't know if this is true or not but my guess is if it did and we let's just say it was the new tomato spotted wilt virus right let's just say that we're losing 12 to 14 percent of our yield every year because of burrower bug and it's across all of our acres suddenly that is that problem would be problem number one for the peanut team it would also become problem number one for the peanut breeders yes. who would probably find <coughs> right but there's no not, that's not on their radar screen because there's no it's not a big enough right. problem for everybody to come together in the same way they did for spotted wilt right and it makes sense it's it's not a big enough problem to draw that much investment. But if it were, my guess is, is we would come up with some new things. And, and it may, you know, the breeding effort may be very difficult because you got to relate that back to a nematode. You know, root knot nematode that has to, has to go into the root and form a relationship with that plant in order to reproduce. They found genes to mitigate that and make that work. So now we've got resistance. But you can't do that to a sting nematode that feeds from the outside of the root. And he moves around. So he doesn't form no relationship. And I would think that's kind of the same thing. This thing's feeding from the outside, and he's not doing anything but feeding. And so how do you, how do you form resistance to that unless it's some kind of – you know, the plant produces something that's toxic to it, which well, is not going to probably be something we'd want anyway. Well, you don't ever know, right? But I mean, the, they have to get through the hole to get to the seed, right? So you think of thicker things that we now would say would be not good necessarily. Right, right. right. A thicker hole, it may lead to lower grades, but it might, if the difference, if it, if the question is, do I want seg two peanuts or a lower grade, I'll take the lower grade, right? Yes. So there's things we might <clears throat> compromise with if this was a problem across you know, all of our acres. I mean, that, but you're right. It's not going to be the... It's not going to be price, easy. No, it wouldn't yeah. be easy. It's not like we're going to insert it, which we can't do anyway because it's not acceptable. But, you know, with cotton, you put it, you know, we put a gene in there that makes it, it produces a 
a toxin that kills caterpillars. Well, we're not going to do that for peanut, even if we could. So it's not going to be like that. But, you know, I, my guess is that there are things out there. We looked at all the, not all, but a lot of the commercially available cultivars and screened them for burrower bug. And I mean, you see some slight differences. Um, the big problem is that the bug is so elusive that, you know, you, having a good screen is a problem, right? You plant, I planted a lot of on-farm trials in areas where burrow bug's been a problem, only to have less than 1% burrow bug injury at the end of the season. And so it's really, it can be really difficult to tell. And I spent a lot of money chasing that. And I mean, 12Y had, consistently has the least burrow bug injury. It also has, we did penetration <laughs> studies on the hull, it also has a tougher hull. Mm-hmm. Right, so maybe there's a correlation, maybe there's not, but the level of damage has always has been low in all those trials, so you can't really. It's hard to say, right? right. It's impossible to say for sure. If somebody asked me, I was I don't know, but some things just are not easy to work. It's with. It's not easy to work with. Soil insects <clears throat> in general are not easy to work with. They're in fact a pain in the butt. Isn't that frustrating when you go? This happens to all of us, right? You know, I've got, in my case, oh, i got a terrible whatever weed problem. Well, I'll come over there and put a test in. I go over and put that test in. It's, yeah, it's not a problem. I, I just wasted a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, right. I mean, it was good because I got to know a grower and a county agent yeah. better. Uh, and, but I struck out on the getting good data. Well, we did a lot of work in uh, way over in East Georgia. And, uh, I mean, it's three hours over there. And, we were doing for two or three years, we were spraying at night, which means we got to drive over there, wait till it gets dark, spray trials. A couple of times we spent the night at a motel in Swainsboro. I don't recommend that. Um, I mean, Swainsboro is a nice some town, ones in my day, but I, the, when the one we picked what wasn't there, and there are probably some fine places over there to stay, but the one we stayed in, not quite so much, but I mean, yeah, you invest a lot of time that, that you could be doing something else, and I mean, I'd do it again. Right. But yeah, well, on the chance that it, you yeah. could hit a home run. Yes. But yes. what we found, especially was, on data that you're yeah. really looking for. Yeah, I mean, I, and and those trials. So I mean, we got some, we got data from there, but it wasn't. We didn't have the pressure, and and one of those years we put the trial in a field that had. Blowout burrow the previous year, right? They we just they wouldn't have planted peanuts there except we wanted a trial. So we put peanuts in this one place where they had had peanuts previous year, and we just didn't have many burrow even though the conditions seemed perfectly favorable. And that's that's the other thing too is, you know, if you're a grower and you got like you said earlier, you're talking about the recommendations. If show me the data for things that 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 the university's worked on, we work on a lot of different products we may never talk about because they just don't work. But if you have a question about it, we probably have the data about that product. So definitely want people to ask, right? Yeah. Yeah, going into this year, I mean, I don't know what people are gonna do, um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if growers hear lots of new ideas about what they can do to reduce their risk of tomato spotted wilt virus, right? I can imagine already sitting here on December the 21st, and I, you're going to hear a lot of stuff. Oh, here, try this, do this. Listen to what they have to say, and then call your county agent and say, this is what this person told me. Does this make any sense? Because we, we and I'm saying we as the peanut team, I, I mean, for since the 90s, have been working really hard on this, and there's probably not much that somebody can come up with that hadn't been tested, right? Somebody might say, if we could keep the thrips out, we could just kill all the thrips. We you can't, right? We've done the, the work's been done. They did a trial where they sprayed thrips every week all season long. It doesn't help. Still got it, spotted. They still got spotted wilt. Not only that, guess what else they got? They got their tail handed to them because because they had spider mites and everything else because they eliminated the natural enemies, right? And people take there's a lot of good bugs in the peanut field, and if you screw them up, you can have problems, right? And so there's all kinds of ideas floating around about what we might do or about get peanut RX, get that piece of, literally take the piece of paper in your hand and read through it and you will know what you can do to reduce your risk of spotted wood. Those are the things you can do. And if you hear something else, yeah, listen, nod, smile, and then call your county agent. And if they don't have an answer for you, they'll call one of us and we'll tell you either we don't know what that what the impact of that thing's gonna be or we do know that the likelihood that that's gonna help you is really low 
or it might even cause you problems. Don't do that. Absolutely don't do that thing. Um, and growers want to hear what they can do, right? They, they want somebody to give them something. And they may always say that about us, that we, we give them a list of options. Yeah. And, and that may might be, they want to know which product to use. But I tell you what, you take that doggone Peanut RX, it's the best recipe you ever, if you want to make a cookie, that's that's the cookie you make yeah. because the recipe's there and you can you can do and do the best job you can. So I think that's as, that's as spelled out as it can possibly be what you do um and 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 from then on we're leaving it to mother nature to some degree or we can try to you know finesse some things as we go i mean the other thing that that um that we're worried about here and we hadn't heard anything about is going to be how does our seed look for this year now that that implement i mean that impacts all of what we want people to do Right, because now we throw another wrinkle into it if we do have bad seed. What's your guess? Did we uh, I think, harvest conditions and did they put the gypsum on and et cetera? Well, I think we didn't fill the pods out as well. Mm-hmm. So the question at this point is we may have good germ, but do we have good vigor? Mm-hmm. You know, or do we have good vigor and germ? I mean, and, th- and I would say this is my question any year. But am I a little bit more concerned this year because of the low grade in peanuts? Yes. Right. Um, is it a concern that I'm I'm absolute saying we're going to have a problem? No. But I'm just saying that we have not heard yet. We don't know what they look like. I would say this is a year that I want to pay attention, mm-hmm. and that's that's pretty much what we're going to go with. We'll find out. I mean, I know the the shellers don't want to sell anything that's that's horrible because or, or this bad germ because it's going to be it's going to be on them and so i don't think that that's an issue i think the that they're going to do the best job that they can to get us good seed and, and high quality seed but we're left at the mercy of what we got yep. and so we're having to work with that hopefully it's going to be perfect we're not going to worry about um but i've never seen a perfect situation so don't 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 let's get all in a tizzy because something happens here. Let's just find out what we need to do to work with it. And that's what we got to do. Once we find out, we'll change our story a little bit or our recommendations a little bit uh, to try to make sure that we get good stands. I mean, that's going to be the next step for us. We you know, up, the, up the population. We might up the population in some, but we may tell you not to do that in others. If yeah. you're a single road grower and you're talking about wanting to put eight, nine, ten seed per foot, I'd rather you not do that. Right. I'd rather us plant six to seven, and if we got some we need to come back, it's going to be more plausible to come back and put more seed than it would be for you to put six, seven, I mean, eight, nine, ten, eleven, because you're going to lose a whole heck of a lot more due to rot yeah. and going to cost yourself more. So twin row, I think we're, we're in a better situation because even if we have to go to eight seed per foot, we're still only four and four in a row, so that's not any problem. Even if you had to go up to nine or ten, which I hope we're not, we're still in a good range that we're not causing increased rot. And so... Well, you're planting that many. You're not getting that many off rates. No, no. We're wanting four plants per foot, you know, and and if we get three three uniform plants up per foot, that's going to be better than if we got th- three skippy. You know, we have a lot of skippy plants. And so... This year, again, we, we just have to play it by ear. Go to your production meetings. Let's get all the information we can and be, you know, pay attention to everything we're doing. So don't get in a, you know, if we start planting, don't plant everything all in two weeks and expect to not have any problems and then be messed up. You know, hey, I think. How do people donate to the podcast? Mm-hmm. Do we have a Patreon or anything that we could? Yeah, we don't. <laughs> uh, do we need? We've been talking for an hour. Right. I just thought maybe we could run that out. Want to upgrade our current studio? I just want. If anybody's listened this long, if they've listened this long, they must be really hardcore. I just think maybe they might want to give us some money. It's December. There's not a lot going on. There's not a lot going on, and we are just talking. But you know, it's cold out. Yeah, I think that's. Hey, what else you gonna do if you're? 
sitting in the shop right now. But actually, listen on the track. Send us a check. Or a biscuit. Merry Christmas. Hey, we can make our own pool behind studio. Man, we're going to be going all these. We're going the road. We can be back in the old days. We drive the train everywhere. There you're right. There you go. Whistle stuff. That'd be awesome, actually. Turning Clark's trailer into a podcast studio. I think of train. We have the mobile piece. The train. Speaking of that, was, or we can do an RV. That's that. I was talking to a, a group of, of. I had a meeting, like a a uh, Zoom meeting with a conference, and at the end they were asking me about extension, and they were still flabbergasted that we do we actually go out to counties and do we, we do what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, because it's because it's great, right? It, yeah. It, the system that we have the, for the delivery of information is great. The, the, the negative is the funding of it. That's always been the issue. How do you keep funding it? But yeah. the actual system of the county delivery system, was a, it was and still is today a great great idea. Well, nothing will ever replace face-to-face meetings. No. And I, I would hope that people out there realize how much effort we put into that because we like to do it. We take pride in what we do. I would love for people to understand that that is the true, not not the full spirit behind land grant institutions, but it is a the extension portion of it. Georgia has a handle on, and Georgia wants to keep that moving forward. We just need people to to, I think, farther up the road, understand the how important it is. All right. Well, yeah. I think Mark said we didn't talk too much. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I heard it say. That's kind of what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Bag of biscuits needs to be tore into too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. 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 Merry Merry Christmas. Christmas. Happy New Year. I need to bring you guys over to Costco's house.